Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is a part of our series, Revelation, the end of the beginning. The book of Revelation can be an incredibly confusing and even frightening read, but it wasn't meant to be either. In fact, behind the violent and alarming imagery of Revelation lies a world of beauty as we see the self-sacrificial love of Christ forever triumph over the darkness we encounter all too often in our world. In this series, we take a deeper look at what the disciple John wrote and why, dispel common misconceptions of what it all means, and celebrate our glorious future it promises. Revelations chapter 2, just to give you a recap, we're walking through the book of Revelation, okay? Last week, we were in chapter 1, and what we learned is that chapter 1, out of these first three chapters, chapter 1 is God's work in his church. How is God working in his church? And what we saw is this picture, this glorified picture of the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, standing amidst encircled by these seven churches that are falling apart. And what we found is that Christ is at work right in the middle of our mess sometimes. Can can you say amen? Listen, God is at work in your mess. And as messy as the church can get, and some of us have had some messy church experiences, God is at work in his church. I can guarantee you God is at work in his church. And then We found that chapters 2 and 3, which is what we'll talk about today, is his words to the church. God speaks directly to the seven churches that this book was written to. And and so Jesus, um, I I just want to say right out the gate that as we dive into chapters 2 and 3, there's something you need to understand. Jesus does not pamper his people. Jesus does not pamper his people. He loves them, but he doesn't pamper them. It's not enough for Jesus just to comfort us and to say, oh, I'm just going to comfort and love them. No, what he does is he confronts and convicts us when we are wrong and in sin. Can is it, do I have any parents in the room that know that when our kids do something wrong, it is our job in loving them to correct them, to convict them? Yes, please love your kids. Please comfort your kids. But it is not enough to stop there. And Jesus, what is true love if it doesn't correct us when we are wrong? I'll tell you what's in the balance here, folks, and what we'll find out today. is that there is a battle for our souls. This isn't just surface level. There is an ongoing war against your soul, the souls in your household. Listen to me, parents, dads, moms, uncles, aunts with kids in the house. Hear me. There's a battle going on for your soul and for the souls of those in your care. It's a battle for our friends, a battle for our kids. This is not light duty. So what's going to happen today, and and I have several prayers. There's, There's a battle in the church. Can I tell you the church is under attack? There's a battle in our families, our homes. There's a battle for your sanity. 
There's a battle for your soul. Your life in eternity, the lives around us, as far as eternity, not just when your body hits the grave, but for eternity, the life, that life is in the balance. And so it's not enough for us to just haphazardly and, and, and almost apathetically approach topics that, hear me, will damn you to hell. We have become so cavalier as a church to kind of just, just approach these things with almost soft mitten gloves. When what Jesus does in chapters 2 and 3 is he grabs the church and says, I love you, but you're wrong and you're in sin and you need to repent. That's love. That's love. My prayer is one, that this will comfort you. So if you think you're going to leave here and you're just, uh, I'm going to spend the whole sermon, you know, throwing punches. That's one, it's not me throwing the punches, it's scripture. So if you have any problems online, everybody here today, if you have problems with what's said today, your problems with God, not me. I say that a lot, but uh, many people will get upset about things preached from the pulpit. And, And sometimes, I will tell you, that I know of churches that don't preach just scripture. They don't just preach God's word and its weight on us. They preach opinion. They preach all that, you know, the pastor will get up on a soapbox. That is not what happens here. I will give you the word of God and let it weigh on you all by itself. So if you have a problem with it um, and you get up and leave, well, you're not leaving because of me. You're leaving because you refuse to accept the word of God's weight on your life. Whew. Yeah, that's heavy, isn't it? All right, comfort. That's, so I want you to leave comforted for a couple reasons. God loves you. And this will show us what that love looks like. Number two, I want you to leave convicted. Because if you don't, I've failed to do my job today. Number three, I want you to leave here repenting. Many of us have grown up maybe in cultures, or, or, and maybe this might sound familiar to you, but cultures maybe that repentance, um, does, it's something you do like when you get saved, but then that's it. But can I tell you, in the life of a believer, a Christ follower, so today, if you, hello, if you would say that you're a Christ follower, you should be living in active repentance. Your life should be marked by it. You know why? We're still in this flesh. So if you, if you have attained glory, well, I think you've been deceived. And we'll find out that that's what the devil is after today is your deception. I want you to leave comforted, convicted. And I want you, because listen, the comfort is that he is on the throne. He's still in control. The conviction is that we need to be honest with ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to do some work. And in repentance, we just need to turn to Jesus today. Believer or non-believer, if you're here today, you don't know about this Jesus, he's calling you to turn to him, to look full in his wonderful face. So we're going to look at all seven of these churches kind of holistically. We're going to look at how he commends the churches. So he he commends and, and pats on the back some of the churches. He rebukes 
some of the churches. He commands some of the churches to do things. And, and the lastly, he's, he's got a reward. How many of you love rewards? Yeah, that's okay. There's a reward for the believer. And really, I find most comfort if you look in Revelation chapter 3, the very last verse, 22, it says this. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Other versions will say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I find comfort that this involves us today. It involves the church. If you consider yourself a Christian and you're at church today, you're the church. This building isn't the church. You're the church. And this is telling us, turn your ears on. If you have ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit would say. And so the question you need to ask yourself is, what is he saying to you? This isn't a message for the person next to you, okay? So don't throw your arm into anybody during service, okay? This message is for you. Four truths that we find in chapters 2 and 3 here just to get us started. Four truths that you find in all two chapters. The first is that Jesus knows us truly. Jesus knows us truly. Um, in Ephesus, right here, and in many of the churches, he says this exact same phrase in Revelation 2.2. He says, I know all the things that you do. I've seen your hard work. He knows you. And, but it, probably the scariest is right here in Sardis. Look. This, this is what was scariest to me. So he says this to all the churches. I know you. Hey, listen, he knows you. Listen to what he said to the church at Sardis in 3 and verse 1. He says, I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation. Everybody say reputation. Reputation for being alive. But you are dead. And this is scary. This is scary. Is it possible that from the outside and you can fool everyone around you, that you can look like a vibrant Christian? Oh, that guy loves the Lord. But when the Lord looks at your heart, he says, but you're dead. You may have a reputation for knowing me. And we see back in the Gospels where Jesus says, you know, many will say in the last day, Lord, Lord, look at all that I've done in your name. And I will look back at them and say, I never knew you. So there is a type of person that will come to church, sit in the pew, and look like a Christian, talk like a Christian, act like a Christian, and be completely spiritually dead inside. If that does not send a shiver up your spine, I don't know what will. This was the problem in Sardis. And honestly, it's Satan's tactic. He wants to deceive you and I to believe that I've, I've got it. I'm in it. I'm, I'm there. I'm doing everything I need to do. When deep inside, you have unrepentant sin and no desire for the Lord. It's scary. Jesus knows us truly. You can fool me. Listen. 
You can fool me. You can fool the person next to you. Hear this preacher today. You will not fool the God of all creation. You're not fooling him. Jesus knows us truly. Number two, Jesus loves us deeply. We see this at Laodicea, right? Um, Those whom I love, I what? I chasten. I reprimand. Those who I love, I reprimand. I know, baby. Macy, I know you brought me water, baby, but I got to use you for a second. You want to come up here? <laughs> Preacher's kid. No, no. No, it's all right. It's all right, Mama. It's fine. She's... Let, me, let me ask you a question. Our daughter loves to go check the mailbox. She is supposed to go to the edge of the grass and lean around the mailbox and check the mailbox because right here is the street. And I don't know if you live in one of these neighborhoods, but people act like it's Interstate 64 on Genuine Risk Lane. And at, their, at a Little Wayne concert. And I know I wasn't supposed to put the T in. It's just Lil. But I can't fix that. I, I keep working on it. Can't fix it. Oh. <laughs> so, when, when she first started checking the mail, you know what she would do? She would go out into the street, you know. Now, if I were to see a car coming down the street, humming, do I put on my soft gloves and my gentle voice and just whisper, Macy, hey, I don't want to hurt her feelings. I don't, I don't, I don't want to make her run away. I don't want to bruise her. I don't want to hurt her. No, I'm going to shout with sternly and with, with firmness, Macy, get out of the road. Those whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Those whom the Lord loves, he chastens. There seems to be this theme that if we really love someone, we won't confront them. But no, what he does with these seven churches through John the Revelator is he confronts them and says, I love you. I love you. Turn away. There's hope. Listen, he he says even for this church at Sardis and Ephesus and Smyrna, these churches that have completely fallen away from him, this is your comfort today. He gives them an opportunity to repent and turn and put our hope in Jesus. There is no sin. There is no past or present that the hope of God cannot reach. Wherever you're at, wherever you're sitting in life this morning, it's a good thing that the Jesus who knows us fully also loves us deeply. Number three, he guards us zealously. This whole two chapters, uh, Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea, Jesus, in an act of love and what we would consider a tight hug, a hard, firm love, 
It's an act of protection to call us out. Have you ever been called out on sin? Some of us have been hatefully done so, you know. You've, been, you've felt judged in church, maybe. There's plenty of Christians who do it poorly. But I've had genuine brothers and sisters in the faith come to me and say, Carl, man, you're headed down a bad road. This is sinful, and it's not right. I have brothers in the faith that will say, hey, you're being a terrible husband. I'll call them and say, you know what? My wife and this trash, you know, she keeps telling me to take it out. She's got no patience. And they'll say to me, Carl, I think you're sinfully not serving your family well. And that's love. Let me tell you something today, saints. If you don't have people, Christians in your life, that are willing to confront you, they're not really protecting you. No, they're not. And lastly, Jesus uses us purposefully, and I'm going to kind of move on kind of quick here, but the whole point of this is not to keep you in the kingdom because that's, that's, that's going to happen. Jesus is going to keep you. That's what he says in his word. He's going to keep you. But it doesn't stop there. It says that he wants to use us to advance his kingdom. You realize that? He didn't die on the cross just to save you. He died on the cross to bring him glory. To bring God glory. And how has he brought glory? By living by being a living testimony of his grace and mercy. So Jesus knows us truly. He loves us deeply. He is after our protection. And there's purpose in it. Everybody say purpose. All right, so four ways he commends his church. I don't have my phone, boo-boo. Can you uh, turn that thing around? Yeah. I, don't, I, I, I could keep you here a long time, but I'm not going to do it. I want to get right to the point. Four ways. Are you awake? If you, if you are, say glory. glory. Okay, all right. We're still here. Don't, don't shout it too loud now. You get me excited. <laughs> How does he commend his church? So listen, it's not all bad. In some of these churches, uh, if it's not the Lord calling, hang it up. I'm just kidding. That's my boy. That's my boy. <laughs> How does he commend his church? You know, the, the five of the seven churches completely fell on their face, okay? I mean, even Sardis, he said, hey, you, you uh, may have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. How would that rock your world? But he also has some commendations, and, and this is where he commended folks. Number one, for faithful perseverance in the word of Christ. Listen, four times. I want you to follow me. In Scripture, if you underline or circle, I want you to follow me here. In Ephesus, if you look at 2 and verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2, it says, I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. Everybody say patient endurance. And in, in, right in the next verse, you have patiently suffered or patiently endured for me without quitting. 
He's commending them for their patient endurance. To Thyatira in 2.19, it says, I know all the things that you do. I've seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance. And then he didn't have a whole lot of good to say about uh, Sardis. Uh, but then if you flip on over to Philadelphia 3 and verse 10, it says, Because you have obeyed my command to persevere. Oh, I have a watch on. I never wear a watch. My wife is like, and I'm like, no, it can't be over yet. I still got a long way to go. No, we're good. We're good. We'll be fine. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, God commends his people when they persevere in the word of Christ. And he does this in a couple ways. One, uh, they persevere by guarding the church internally. Um, if you look in verse, uh, in chapter 2, um, and if you want, you can go home and read all of this. But he says things about the church at Ephesus uh, that I know you don't tolerate evil people. Even farther down, he says, um, uh, um, but I have this complaint against you. You lost your first love. Verse 5, look how far you've fallen. Turn back. If you don't repent, here's what I'm going to do. But you have this in your favor. Look, in verse 6, you hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Listen, people who persevere guard the church internally. You guard yourself from evil things. I think we do a poor job of that sometimes personally. I, I know here at Transformation Church, our leaders do an incredible job of guarding against wickedness and evil and false doctrine. But then they also, if you look, um, let's see, where do I want to go? If you go over to Pergamum, um, they are advancing the church um, Externally, So they're protecting the church internally, and they're also advancing the church. And so for faithful perseverance, he commends his church for faithful perseverance in his word. Number two, <clears throat> for faithful proclamation of the name of Christ. In light of opposition, in the midst, uh, in light of opportunity, in the midst of opposition, They preach the word, and they tell people about Jesus. Let me paint a picture for you. If you were to go to Smyrna, this church in Smyrna, uh, and, and back, back in this time, they would have trade guilds. Um, I would equate it to a modern-day, maybe, union. Um. And so the empire was built around these trade guilds. So if I was a, if I made pottery, um, I would be in a guild with a bunch of pottery guys, okay? And, and, and each trade guild had their own god or goddess, okay? And so to proclaim the name of Christ would cost them something. Somebody say cost, it would cost them something, and here's how. Um, one, the Roman government. 
the Roman government would put you to death for proclaiming the name of Christ. So your personal safety was at risk. But even beyond that, in more subtle ways, if you weren't willing to go to these festivals for these gods, and you weren't willing to, to eat the, the food that was served to these gods or, or pay incense and things to these gods, you lost business. You would be rejected. This would affect your family. This would affect your income. There was religious opposition, government opposition. You would be rejected socially, economically. You would be slandered. And honestly, it's not much different than today. To, to really, and I'm not talking about a Christian who's Christian on Sunday and not the rest of the week. I'm talking about Christians who are Christians all week long. At your workplace, in your friend circles. Today, to be a Christian and to proclaim the name of Christ, you can be called anti-gay, anti-choice, anti-women, intolerant, bigoted, arrogant, unintellectual. These are all things that will follow proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. You know why? The world wants nothing to do with Jesus Christ. We are foreigners in a strange land. And this is not home. Number three, trust God amidst testing. So they were commended for faithful perseverance. They were commended for proclaiming the name of Christ. They were also commended for trusting God amidst the testing in the world. Specifically in Smyrna, if you go to um, chapter 2, verse 10, look at this. It says, um, this is wild, don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Hear this. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, everybody say death, I will give you the crown of life. You see, when you, these folks in Smyrna were already, like we were just talking about, they were under the gun. They're having a hard time. They're poor. They're destitute because they can't trade like everybody else can because they won't worship the gods that everybody else will worship. It'd be so easy just to say, you know what, brother? I just, I've got to take care of my family, so I'm going to make some, I've, I've got to give a little bit here. I've got to compromise. i would be a little bit complacent over here because I just got to do this. They're already under the gun. In, in Smyrna, in the Roman Empire, Going to jail meant death. There was no serving life sentences. You died. Why? Why would God allow this? Why would God allow this? What says right here in verse 10? Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Notice there's no if, and, or buts. You're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to what? Test you. 
Pastor, what are you saying? What is he testing? He's testing your faith. See, this is going to rub wrong with some of us today. This thought that God would allow testing, that God would allow suffering to come into our lives. But if you read this whole book, it's what you see. It's the story of Joseph. Being suffering one event after the other, being sold by his family in jail. It's the story, it's the whole book of Job. Suffering, suffering, Jesus being led out into the wilderness to be tempted. Suffering, suffering. Paul talking about the thorn in his flesh to be a Christian is to suffer. Sometimes. It's not all suffering, no. But don't be confused this morning. A lot of us think because we're suffering, we must have done something wrong. That's not the case. I wasn't the case in Smyrna. These people were suffering because they were doing it right. I said, don't, he said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just a couple things here. Two. To point out, one, Satan is subordinate. This is important to understand, important to grasp. Satan is subordinate. Satan has no control except what God would allow. But don't be deceived. He intends to hurt you. He intends to sabotage your relationship with God. Do you realize this? You realize the devil is wanting to sabotage your relationship with God, and God will allow suffering. He will sometimes ordain suffering to test us, but the hope, the promise is that God is sovereign and uses suffering to sanctify us. This whim, this even thought that... Because I'm a Christian, now I suffer none. It's false, and it's a lie from Satan. But don't be afraid, right? That's what, that's what Jesus said to Smyrna. He said, don't be afraid. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Trust God, he's saying. Trust God. Even when it looks terrible, trust God. Smyrna, Ephesus, listen, I understand. I see what you're doing. I've seen how you've walked. But hear me today. Because you're facing hard times and suffering and it doesn't make sense, does not mean you should not trust God. It means you should trust him all the more. There's a story. Story. It's history. Um, the second century archbishop of Smyrna was a guy named Polycarp. Say Polycarp. Okay, just making sure. Polycarp. Second century Bishop of Smyrna. He would have been aware of this scripture. He would have been aware of this. At 86 years old, Polycarp stood before the Roman governor. And the governor looks at him and says, if you do not turn away from this Jesus... If you don't turn away from this Christ, we're going to kill you. I see it, baby. I see it. I'm looking at my wife. 
I might have to split this into two Sundays. Polycarp is standing before this Roman governor. He tells him, I'm going to kill you if you don't turn. <laughs> and all, look, listen, it would have been easy to compromise. All he had to do was put a little bit of incense in, into the this statue that honored this, this Roman governor, this God, this other God. That's all he had to do. Polycarp looks at the Roman governor. He says this, 86 years I have served Christ, and he has never done me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? And at 86 years old, they tied him to a post and burned him alive. Burned him at the stake. Look, it's way more subtle for you. I don't think anybody's coming to Midlothian to tie you to a stake if you don't reject Jesus Christ. But can I tell you something? That addictive show on Netflix that keeps wooing you away from your Bible study time? Yeah. If you, don't, if you don't turn away from Jesus to your sports channel or turn away from Jesus so you can go do this or that or turn away from God so you can do this or that, that is coming to your doorstep. And you have to be aware of it. What is stealing you away from the Lord? Lastly, last thing he commends them for is for loving God amidst temptation. I'm going to do these couple rebukes, and then I'm going to send you home. Well, I'll do rebuke and then reward. It won't take it very long. But I don't want to end on rebuke because I want you to come back next week. <clears throat> five of the seven, five, hold me five, five of the seven churches were rebuked. But there were two main rebukes, and I'm going to go over them quickly. The number one rebuke for those five churches for compromising. Settling for less. In the church, it looked like they were tolerating evil. So within the church, this is what it looked, compromise looked like. They were tolerating evil, idolatry, immorality. Look, here in 2.14, it says this, but I have a few complaints against you, Pergamum. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. Look at 2.20. It says, but I have this complaint against you, Thyatira. You are permitting that women, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit, here it is, sexual sin and to eat food offered to the idols. They were letting idolatry in the church. They tolerated it. They tolerated even teachers. So the leaders of the church at the time were letting people come in and teach this. My God. You know what our biggest weakness <laughs> might be as a church? What we tolerate. What we tolerate. It's not a big deal. Uh, uh, it... You know what, Carl? You know, I don't want it to affect my influence. The Lord knows my heart. Just go ahead and eat a little bit. You don't want to offend the host. You don't want it to cost you something. You don't want to die. It's, you know, the Lord sees you. 
The Lord knows who you are. Just a little bit of compromise. And with the world, financial gain, social acceptance, personal safety. You know what began to happen because of compromise? You couldn't tell Christians from non-Christians. You couldn't tell the church from the bar down the road. Let me ask you something this morning. What makes you look any different than your non-Christian neighbor? God help us. And the second thing, the second rebuke, complacency. Look at Laodicea. This is really good. Laodicea. Now, I actually learned something. I learned something. uh, If you're not learning, um, there's, there's always something to learn. Look, Laodicea. We hear of this church most often because of the hot, cold, lukewarm uh, the Lord says, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. That's how it's been preached to me for years. So I go to digging, right? I'm digging, 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 trying to figure out what, what to make, uh, what to say to you about this. But what's always been preached to me is that hot was good and cold was bad. How many of you have heard that? Yeah, hot's good, cold's bad. But who is he preaching to? He's, he's writing this letter to the church at Laodicea. What would they have heard? This is what I found out. Laodicea was sourced with water from two sources. The city, Laodicea, had two sources of water. Six miles to the north, there was Hierapolis that was hot springs. Healing hot springs, just six miles to the north. Did you know this? I didn't know this. Ten miles to the east was Colossae, where they got their cold, refreshing water. So six miles north, hot springs, known for healing. Ten miles to the east, cool, refreshing springs. And what the Lord was saying is that lukewarm water, you know what it's good for? Nothing. Nothing. He would rather you be Hot, healing, or or cold, like Colossae and refreshing. He would not have you lukewarm. It does nothing. It is worthless. And it makes him sick, is what the scripture would say. It's good for nothing. Oh, Lord, that we would be warned this morning. He goes through several warnings. And maybe I'll cover those next week. But I just want to close with the reward. So look, today, if you love your brothers and sisters in the faith, can I tell you something? You should be confronting them. It is not loving to just let someone go off into sin knowing their soul is hanging in the balance. And for you to keep quiet and say, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, you know, just love them. Well, what does love look like? Love looks like telling them the truth and saying, please turn, repent. Because God forbid, hear me this morning, that Christ comes back today and you kept your mouth shut. Can I tell you something? I've got people I need to call after service. I've got, and look, none of you are on my list, so it's okay. <laughs> Everybody's like, oh, no. Put my, 
put my phone on mute. Pastor's calling. No. We'll cover warnings and reward next week. I need to tell you something. I need to tell you something this morning. I heard a preacher say in the last couple weeks, there's no exit in hell. There's no exit. And we'll cover this here in a, in a few weeks, but when God created hell, did you know this? There's a story in the Bible about it. He created hell with a window to heaven. There's a story in the Bible about wanting to give someone a sip who hadn't made it. They were in hell, but they couldn't. You can't. There was no exit. He created a window so people in hell could see heaven just for torment purposes. Listen to me. Hell is a bottomless pit, so you're ever falling. And hell is a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's what the Bible says, that we're just gnawing on one another. And this goes on for eternity and eternity burning in flames of fire. Can I tell you something today? You need to exit while you can. Hear me today. If you do not know Jesus, I'm not typically a, a, a fire insurance salvation preacher, but let me tell you something. Hell is for eternity, but so is heaven. Heaven is what's promised. And, and, and I guess the reason maybe I'm diverting just a little bit this morning is I believe there's someone that the Lord, this loving Lord that would confront you, expose you, and then wrap his loving arms around you and bring you to heaven for eternal relationship with him someone would need to hear that this morning that he's knocking on the door of your heart and he's saying exit while you can exit while you can church and it just wouldn't be loving of me as your pastor if I were to try and sugarcoat it pretend like it's something you'll have to worry about later on down the road. Let me tell you something. You may face that decision today. You may face the results of that decision anyway. Oh God, that you would turn to him. That you would run into his loving arms because he knows you fully and loves you deeply. So as they worship today, I want every head bowed and every eye closed. And I want you, for those who know Jesus today, there's someone who needs to know him. There's someone in your life that doesn't know the Lord. You need to pray for them right now. Right now you need to pray for them and ask God through his Holy Spirit to convict them. And if you're hearing this under the sound of my voice and you don't know the Lord, you can come to know him today. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA, located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.